0: Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 74. Uh, Just having a fantastic week here. I hope each and every one of you are having a great week out there. We have a fantastic show for you today. I am about to be joined by the legendary Harvey Sorgan. Uh, You will know Harvey from his many years in the great group Hot. And Harvey has a a brand new record out on the streets right now uh, that that is just fantastic. It's called New Origin with the New Origin Trio. So we'll be joined by Harvey in just a moment after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it Becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Lost Cabos drumsticks, visit them online at drumsticks.com follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls. As I mentioned, we're about to be joined by the great Harvey Sorgen. Uh, Harvey spent uh, the, the well, all of the nineties, quite frankly, with Hot Tuna, and of course, Hot Tuna was some of the band members from Jefferson Airplane, and and they just did so much good stuff. Uh, it, you know, if you're not familiar with Hot Tuna's music, don't don't waste any time. Go get familiar with that because it's just incredible. But uh, Harvey has been doing just so much excellent work over the years. I was really thrilled to be able to get him on the show to talk about his new release. uh, Just a fantastic trio uh, that he's got doing some really hot improvisational jazz. Uh, It's some of the best improv jazz that I've heard this year. And Harvey just drops a knowledge bomb on all of us during this interview. Uh, It just an incredible human being, a fantastic musician and a world-class drummer. So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, the great Harvey Sorgan. Hey, good morning, Harvey. How's it going today?
1: It's a beautiful day here in the Catskill Mountains at Woodstock, New York, Jamie. It's just gorgeous, perfect weather for early summer, and it's a lovely thing to be talking to you today.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to do it, man. Uh, you know, this Absolutely. is a real, real treat for me. So uh, so thanks for being on the Drum Shuffle. We appreciate it. Sure. Sure, My pleasure. Pleasure's all mine to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Harvey. So um, you know, traditionally on our show, what we like to do is start back at the beginning. So if you're cool with a, a trip down memory lane, tell us tell us where sure. you grew up and and how you got into music and drumming to begin with.
1: Right, sure. So um I grew up on the south shore of Long Island, which is very close to uh, New York City, maybe thirty minutes outside of the city, and grew up pretty close to the beach, which was a beautiful way to grow up. And uh, getting involved in playing, you know, pre- pretty young. The, the the myth, you know, the urban myth about my my beginnings. Sort of go that uh, I, I have an uncle that was a professional player in the 40s and 50s, actually played in uh, when, uh, one incarnation of uh, Miles Davis's large bands back in the 50s. And I guess I must have been three or four years old, and he was visiting, and we had a uh, piano, and actually we had an accordion in the house. My eldest brother played accordion, and uh my oldest brother was playing for him, you know, him being a professional musician. And he put the accordion down, and, and the myth goes that I picked it up, and I played a blues. I played a one, four, five blues. <laughs> and, <laughs> on the uh, accordion, nonetheless. On the accordion, right. And my uncle said, wait a minute, can you do that again? And I was like, sure, you know, and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. It just, it was a blues. And he says, you know, that's a blues which didn't really register at three years old, what that meant. <laughs> and uh, the next day there was a piano in my home. He decided that this kid needs a piano. Oh, that's cool. So, uh, right. So I started studying piano and uh, kind of segued when I got a little bit older into uh, elementary school. I started playing trumpet. So I was playing trumpet and piano uh and playing in in the band playing trumpet and and then there was a uh, request from the school band later that they need a drummer and the school needs a drummer if we know anybody that could come and audition to play quarter notes or whatever it was back then and i said this might be fun and i went and, and i became the uh bass drummer and then snare drummer in the school band and I guess it was something about the drums that just kept on giving. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got a drum set uh, in the middle of my elementary school years, and uh, here we are. And it sort of continued <laughs> on from there. <laughs> well, yeah. That's kind of...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's a story that I hear so often. You know, from from guys that have been doing it is, you know, it's school band, right? And yeah, y- you know, you know, and without
1: getting you know too political, right at the moment, it's, it's uh, I'm I'm just sorry to see that in our culture right now in this country that those kind of programs being cut um, and limited and not taken for uh, truly what they are. I'm sorry, we're getting beeped through here. It's, even though I made the calls, people still make the speech, we'll let them hang.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, it's it's just different now in that you can't take a kid that doesn't know how to play an instrument and and nurture them through the learning process. I think most school music programs now, you either come in and know how to play or you don't, and, and you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're left behind, right?
1: Mhm mhm you know that brings up a really uh uh interesting thing that I dealt with with uh, one of my children my son who's also a professional musician and when he was young when he was in the school bands for whatever he played uh, tenor saxophone and alto saxophones and he he could play and reading and playing wasn't that much wasn't that difficult for him it sort of came naturally so Um, when it came time, because there is a syllabus and you need to be graded, my son got an A because he did well. Now, he had a buddy who practiced hours and hours every day that it didn't come that easy to, but he had this commitment, this other kid, and he would work on it and work on it, and it was still difficult for him, and he wasn't able to make all the parts in the school band, and he tried, and he got a D. And I got really upset, and I called a meeting with the uh, principal and the superintendent of the school district, and I said, we have to talk about this because you all have this backwards. My son should be getting a D because he doesn't really have to work at it. This kid is the kid that should get the A. He's working at it. He has, I mean, there's commitment, time, focus. We're rewarding the wrong thing here. Yeah. And, and um, they actually changed the way the grading system worked in the school system where my kids grew up, which was a beautiful thing. It was no more based on the fact that you can play all these notes. It was more based on your commitment, your level of interest, your time uh, showing up, and all that kind of, thing, which to me is, is much more important. Let's nurture what's out there. It may not fit into the exact syllabus that the great state of New York says that you need to be doing at this age, <laughs> but you're squashing this kid's creativity.
0: Well, and to your point, if you're going to be a professional musician, I would much rather have the guy that shows up to rehearsal on time, that has done his homework and learned the tunes, than the guy that can play 4,000 notes per bar.
1: You got
0: it. You know, absolutely. I mean. So when you yeah. when you convert it to the real world, it is more important with the work you put in than than the God given talent. So
1: absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. So I'm I'm hoping that that type of ethic, uh, you know, unveils itself in the larger community in this country and around the world, and uh, you know that that's important. We have to. We have to be able to nurture stepping out of the box. We don't need everybody to sound exactly the same. You know, uh, there's enough uh, Steve Gads and Dave Wickles and all these guys who play fantastically, but we don't need another one. Let's see what you do with that music,
0: you know? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, Yeah. So, who were some of the early influences for the young Harvey as he was, you know, uh, you know, learning the instrument? Were you, you know, forming garage bands at an early age? You know, what what were you into? Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, my house was the hang at an early age where I was in two or three different bands, and all the equipment were left in. uh, at my house, so we played all the time. It was a time when, I'm not saying it's not completely like that right now, but if you wanted to play music and you wanted to be involved in creating and doing something, you needed to call your buds and get together and, and rock and make sound. It wasn't so much I could pull out my iMac and pull up every sound in the universe and construct beats and, and make it happen. You have to be able to, like, socially deal with people around you in order to groove. So that's what we did. Sure, we played all the time. I mean, every day that was kind of my, uh, between going to the beach and playing and listening, uh, you know, early influences of my uh, early playing were, you know, it, it, in the rock world with definitely you know, the Allman Brothers and the Dead and Johnny Winter. And, and kind of, um, you know, that was sort of popular music at the time. It was popular music at the time, but it was also, it seemed to be the bands and the musicians that had a lot of space for improvisation. Yeah. That they were, I wouldn't say completely simple structures, but... There were structures set up in that music to allow the players to make a statement. And that was always very important to me, whether I realized it at that age or not. You know, just by, uh, uh, I forget what term, it could be, whipping post or something where uh, Barry Oakley uh, drops a beat on a drum and the band comes in a beat late. Man, we had that down, but we had no idea right. that we played a bar to seven and they didn't either. But, you know, we played that bar of seven every day uh, until we realized, oh, wow, you know, Barry dropped a beat. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's historical. I mean, live at the Fillmore is a historical record. So it's fantastic. So that's, you know, that's what was important, was to get together. And, you know, that kind of also, I look at it for myself, being involved in that music, that sort of improvisational uh rock music and listening to blues players um that sort of was a really great indoctrination to me in terms of playing more extended forms and playing when i got into jazz and started doing a lot of that i mean to me listening to uh butch chucks and jmo or um you know the drummers with the dead uh mickey and, and billy I mean, I would try to cop those parts myself. Yeah. And they were always on all sides of the beat all the time. That was all the time. So it wasn't so much, I wouldn't say it's the pre-kick and snare era, because Bonham was definitely, you know, banging it out gigantically at that time. But still, that was a little more open. But it was more about a flow of the music. The music, the, the drummer was not about smack in two and four yeah. as hard as you possibly can. It was about, you know, constructing and phrasing and flowing through that music. And to me, that was just very natural when I started to, uh, you know, play, uh, you know, triplet bass music and swing music and things like that. It just made a lot of sense to me from from co- trying to cover both of those parts and being on different sides of the, of the beat at different times, but keeping the pulse strong and the time real, you yeah.
0: know. Well, it, was, and,
1: it was great. It, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, to kind of keep with your example, you know, growing up in the South, you know, I've played in a billion Southern rock bands, and the Allman of Brothers course. thing, you know, was... First of all, you know, Butch and Jamo are both amazing players in and of themselves. But when you put the two guys together, that's, you know, that's kind of where the secret sauce comes from, you know. 100%. And it's which one do you pick? You know, if you're going to be a single drummer in the band, you know, and the way I always approached it was I'm going to take the signature lick from Butch and the signature mm-hmm. lick from Jamo, and I'm going to do them both, but I can't do them both at the same time. But, you know, right. to your point, their playing style was informed by the fact that you had Barry Oakley and Dwayne Allman in the band. So they, sure. those guys were just like, I'm staying out of the way of Dwayne. I'm going to let him do his thing on the slide guitar, you know? And Right, 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 right. Th- so you it know, makes I, a I, I, wonderfully informed band and it's that's where the secret lies is all those guys interacting together at the same time.
1: Yeah. And that music is swinging like crazy. You know, those cats swing their eighth notes, swing like crazy. Uh, Santana's early bands with Mike Shreve, that stuff was swinging like crazy. Yeah, And it was interesting, you know, to make the, uh, 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 transition, say, to when I started playing with Yorma and Jack and Hot Tuna, I mean, th- those guys swung like crazy. You know, when I first got in the band, uh, Jormer and Jack really had this big uh, differ- di- uh, differentiation between acoustic Hot Tuna and electric Hot Tuna. Yes. So when I joined the band, the first or second show I did with them it would open up with Yormer Jack coming out and playing the acoustic hot thing and Hesitation Blues and Reverend Gary Davis tunes, which are swinging like crazy. And then the curtain would come down. And then the whole band would come out and rock, you know. And I remember saying to Yarmor, I said, you know, I, I can play those tunes. I mean, I play brushes. I mean, I, I love those songs, those historical and Reverend Gary to his, you know, I'd love to play that stuff. And he's like, well, you know, we don't really have done that much with a drummer of, of that stuff, he says, but tomorrow night, give it a shot. And that was kind of the end for the next 12 years of acoustic and electric on the same bill. Yeah. We all just came out and play, yeah. you know, uh, which was a beautiful thing. And, you know, you're talking about, uh, improvisation and how it runs through traditional blues music, uh, popular music of the time. I remember we were playing one tune. I forget which one it was. And this, I think it was on the first gig I did with them. And in the bridge section of one of the tunes, all of a sudden I realize I'm on the other side of the beat. Um, <laughs> uh, what happened? I, I turn this around. Okay, you know, I kind of get my way back. Pretty quickly, I get my way back. And it comes up, the bridge comes back again, and I'm like, on my guard, what's gonna happen here? And the same thing happens. There was an extra beat in one, it was a bar of five, in one of the bars. But I was sorta ready for it, so I did it. And no problem, that bridge came around three, four, five times, and everything was groovy. After the gig, I remember saying to uh, Yorma, I said, yeah, well, thanks man thanks for leaving me out to dry there with that with that extra beat, with that bar of five in the bridge. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, there's a bar of five in the bridge. He said, what are you talking about? I said, play it in the dressing room. He plays it, and there it is. And I said, that's it. He says, well, that's how it goes.
0: What do you mean it's a bar?
1: <laughs> so... <laughs> when, when,
0: <laughs> that's great. How it
1: goes. So when you listen to the early blues catch, I mean, from Robert on Robert Johnson on through the Reverend, through all those guys, all those Delta cats, when you listen to that music, they are contracting, expanding the form all the time. They're real. They're really going for the vibe and the ethic of the music And if this bridge has 13 bars instead of 12, or the next bridge has seven, next A-section has 17 bars instead of 16, so be it. That's what they were feeling at the moment. And that's on hundreds of records, hundreds and hundreds of early blues records. So that sort of ethic, which sort of was the beginning of the music, uh, of, of the true American, you know, music, the blues music. So it was all about that. And in, 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 the, in the pop world, that sort of got squashed down. Well, that's not cool anymore. You can't do that. But that's what the music is based on. You, well, and, it,
0: it, yeah. I mean, I think we're in, a, in an era of lowest common denominator popular music.
1: And right now, yeah. There's still, you know, I, I do talk about that, and I agree with you. There is some amazing... Music coming out from cats right now. I mean, somebody there really is. There is some really stupendous thought out uh, in in pop music. Though you're not going to necessarily, when you sign on to your Spotify channel, going to hear it. Right. So you know your your conscious decision of what you're li- that's what's happened. Sort of is that your conscious decision of deciding what you want to listen to has been taken away in streaming and that there are all these services that by, um, you know, architecture and uh, that decide, well, if you like Bruce Springsteen, you need to hear this. Well, maybe I don't want to hear that, but they decide. And so you turn on your channel and bang. So you're not selecting the, the mass populace is not selecting necessarily or investigating and then purchasing a record. Yeah, well, that's that's way over. But,
0: uh. and, and there's the point, you know, for for great music right now, I agree. There's a ton of great music out there, but you have to, A, know about it and search it out. And, yeah. y- you know, we live in a in a funny time because, you know, the good news is anybody can make a record. The bad news is anybody can make anybody a record. Anybody
1: can make a record. Absolutely. You know,
0: so finding the stuff that's great, that will move you and that touches you in the soul, you know, and, and get you warm yeah. and fuzzy. You, first of all, you get to out there. It's out there, but you have to go find it. You're not going to you get do. you're not going to get the easy pill from Pandora or Spotify. That that is a true right. statement.
1: And, uh, it's true. And, you know, it's. With the tools that we have now that we didn't have 25 years ago, it's so much easier to go out and find that stuff. It's the mindset of whether you want to go out and find that stuff. I got turned on, of course, my son says I'm an old man, but I got turned on to this thing called Radio Guard, which is this website, which is, it's gorgeous. It's it's a, it's a, a site and it's a picture of the planet. And you can scroll around and hit radio stations anywhere on the planet. Yes. Whether you want to be in Uzbekistan or Eastern Europe or South America or the African continent, you just scroll to the continent and there are these dots of where these radio stations are. And you click on them and you're going to hear stuff you've never heard before.
0: One of my favorite things. Yeah. And not to interrupt, but I am familiar with the site. And one of my favorite things is to like, you know, scroll over to, to like the the middle country of England and listen to their classic rock stations because yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you're not going to get the same classic rock that you get, you know, in Cleveland, Ohio. It's going to be That's different. That's right. It's, That's right. It's really so cool our point stuff. Of
1: that, yeah, our point of that, the tools for research are so at our fingertips. I mean, they're in our pockets all day long. Uh, if people actually. Take the phone out of their hand. Yeah. So it's, it's always with you. Yeah. You know, but, you know, we've been lulled into this thing of, you know, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's all going to just be sent
0: to you. Yeah. But, for, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. and I mean, we could talk about that all day, but, sure, you know, I, I would really like to touch on a few things. Like, case sure. in point, you know, we were talking before we started the interview, you know, here's a band that, A lot of people haven't heard of, but it was kind of my first introduction to you and your playing is a band called Rusted Root. I I Mm -hmm. caught them. They were touring with Page and Plant when when, you know, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did kind of that, you know, quasi Led Zeppelin reunion in the mid 90s. But you were Mm -hmm. involved with with those guys. And that's kind of that was kind of my introduction to you. And Mm -hmm. and I want to say that was, you know, late 90s, maybe. Um, but y- you know, yeah, I guess mid to late nineties. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, case in point, that's a band that I saw in concert that I would have never discovered had they not been on that tour and I was blown away and went and bought yeah, the right. entire catalog the next day. You, you know right, what I mean? Right. So
1: no, That's great. A great group, uh, a great group of folks with a, with a great, uh, a great mindset about what they wanted to get done and how they played and how they improvised and how they jammed. Uh, and it was, you know, I guess I was involved with them in a couple of different ways. One was they toured with us with uh, Hot Tuna, um, so we played a lot of shows together. I think they were on the the first, the first uh, further festival where it was us and them and and uh, the, the dead guys uh, Weir and Lash and Bruce Hornsby. I think they were on that first one. And we all got a chance to sit in with everyone else's bands every night. So that, that was beautiful. And um, they invited uh, they invited the whole band, they invited Tuna to their recording studio in Pittsburgh to play on their new record at the time, which was a guess. We had a great time. We, we were there for a few days and, and played on the record, uh, which was really beautiful. And then I got involved with... Um, with co-engineering, assisting engineering on one of the records, I'm sorry, I'm going to be really honest, I don't think that was the same record, it might have been a different one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it,
0: it happens. But,
1: uh, it happens, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I just really dug, we all really dug the vibe, we dug the camaraderie, we felt touring together, we had very like-minded ideas about you know how we want to apply ourselves to the music and bring people in. and you know it was great i'm i'm glad that you got a a chance through uh you know uh, Paige and the boys to 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 find out that they were happening, because they, were, they, were, they they had developed quite a little scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, just at a that time. massive jam band, percussion-heavy, yeah. dare I say. And, it, you know, for a yeah. young drummer, it was just, you know, it was right up my alley. And, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's just one of many things that's in your discography. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. the, the Hot Tuna stuff, you know, I mean, I think that's well-documented. Um, but you right. know i it, just looking at your discography, you know n r b q uh bill Frizzell, i mean, there's just so much stuff that you've done over your career that's amazing right.
1: yeah, well, thank you that's that you know I have to say that uh uh I'm a pretty happy guy, I feel really honored that uh I was able to align myself and and be taken in by certain musical situations um that really meant a lot to me and meet meet quite a few creative players. Uh, You know, uh, we'll go go back for one second, talking about my early upbringing. I remember when I was 13 or 14, I was uh, studying with a very well-known teacher at the time on Long Island, drum teacher, his name was Charlie Perry, and he was very friendly with Jack Dejanet. Oh, wow. And I had kind of known about Jack, but not really, you know, a little bit at that age. And he called me up and said, listen, I'm having a master class for, you know, two or three of my students, and I want you to be there. And um, Jack DeJanet's going to be there, and you should come down. And it was at his house, a uh, small little teaching studio, really small, big enough for like a set of drums and three or four people in this room. And Jack came in and sat down and blew for about an hour and a half straight. <laughs> Just played. And, you know, I'm, I'm two inches away from him. And that was a, a pretty uh, amazing life-changing event. I had no idea that the instrument could be played like that. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really... Uh, I I walked out of there speechless. I just, I had never, that kind of sound. Vibration, intensity, complexity, groove, all of it at once. Yeah. And uh, so that was an amazing transformation. And then later on, becoming friends with Jack and spending time with him. And we did a video together, Jack and I, and he's turned me on to some really nice gigs over the years. And to, uh, you know, just so I like I'm saying, I just feel kind of uh, uh, honored and uh, and very grateful to have been around at the time I was and to to be able to attract uh, players like that and have them want to be. be a
0: part of their projects. Well, I mean, it's so, uh, yeah. I think it speaks to you, and and you know, one one other thing that I do want to mention, um, and, and it's still around. You can find it if you look. But you you had your own great instructional video, you know. Yeah. Uh, in the in the nineties, and it, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was uh drumming made easy
1: right drumming made easy would write which was the title given to it by um the owner of the company homespun tapes uh happy tram which is a fantastic instructional uh company now it's all streaming but back then it was videos and then became dvds uh yeah so i have one out there are a few drummers on that uh, uh for that company jack jack and i did one together. Musical expression on the drum set, uh, Danny Gottlieb, Levon Helm. The four of us did instructional videos for that company. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you it's found still out there, and I, I still, I still see the checks. So
0: that's kind of nice. Well, that's always good. <laughs> and and you know, back back the, the the first time we talked when we were trying to you know get our time you know set up for this interview, we talked a little bit right. about Levon, and, and you had mentioned you know Levon did a video for them as well, and right. You know, I think my exact quote was. How the hell did Levon think he was going to teach anybody how to do what he did? You know, I mean, that's yeah.
1: Uh, well, it's, it, that's an interesting point that you bring up because when they shot the video, uh, it was uh, it was an interview of Randy Scherlante, another great drummer that actually played uh, with Levon in one. Uh, one versions of the band, that he was kind of the interviewer and, and happy who shot this video, had his company call me up and said, "You know we shot this video with Levon, and can you come over and take a look and see what we have? Do we have an instructional video here?" <laughs> and I'm telling you it's fantastic.) <laughs> um, uh, is he showing you exact technical in the tradition of playing the instrument? Not necessarily, but he is showing you his thought process and his physicality on the instrument and the way he looks at playing and singing and is playing in it is just perfect. I mean, it's that thing. Nobody sounds like Levon.
0: Yeah, you, I mean, uh, I think you have to be born in turkey scratch Arkansas and grow up as, a, as a singing drummer <laughs> to do what Levon right, did. You play with a bunch of Canadians. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, uh, I, it must have been in the water down there or something. Because, I mean, that's yeah. just a guy you cannot cop his feel. You can't do it. Yeah, it's a thing.
1: You know, which brings me to the point of when we talk about, I know, Interviewers sometimes like to hear, you know, what I think about certain drummers. And, you know, what it really comes down to me, and it's it it has to do with drummers in, in a broader sense. It has to do with musicians in a broader sense. It has to do with artists in a much broader sense. It has to do with humanity, which what attracts me in terms of artistic output, is when someone has a singular voice Mm -hmm. and you know that voice, and I'm not making any uh, critical judgment on words like good or bad, but more so that they are true to the voice that they have. Like you can take Levon and you know in two notes it's Levon or Jack on the drums. And you can hear Barry Aushel play one bar on a cymbal and you know it's Barry Aushel. Or you can look at Juan Moreau's paintings, and then you know if you look a square inch of that painting, you know it's him. Or you can read James Joyce, and in five words, you know you're reading James Joyce, because nobody puts words together like that. To me, uh, or you can go and eat um, Thomas Heller's food, or uh, in that regard, my wife's food, who's a fantastic chef. I, nobody cooks like that no one thinks like that no one speaks like that no one writes like that no one paints like that no one talks like that these this is what attracts me in uh, in the in the general way of, of every day through my life and if I have to break it down to a much smaller uh, increment what attracts me musically to the people that I have aligned myself with, that I seek to play with, that I seek to be in their presence. Because it's them. Nobody plays the guitar like Jorah and Nobody plays like uh, Bill Frisell. Nobody has that sound. Right. So it, it gets beyond stylistic. It really has to do with, wow, these are the folks I want to be aligned with. People that have either consciously or unconsciously developed a sound. Uh, It may be something they decided to do or something that just kind of happened from their life experiences and the way people take in what goes on around them and how that, you know, becomes their output and their language, whether it's a visual language, whether it's a written language, whether it's an oral language. That's not the point. The point is it becomes a way of communication. And that, to me, is of the highest order. You know, um, uh, we were talking about uh, a little bit about you earlier. Um, I can relate that to a story at one point in a, in a past life. I was teaching this guy in New York who was a big-time uh, Wall Street attorney, very wealthy, Uh, But he came out to one of my concerts, and he contacted me, and I loved the way you play, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Can I take a lesson with you? I've never played the drums. I've always wanted to play drums. I said, absolutely. Let's do this. So we got together, and he bought a set of drums. We got to the point fairly quickly that he had enough information and enough ability to get together with his Wall Street buddies and play every Friday afternoon at a local pub and loved it. I mean, these cats loved what they were doing. That's cool. And he called me once and he said, you know, I wish I was like you, Harv. You know that you know, you're a professional player, you travel the world, this is what you do, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, you have it backwards, my friend. I wish I could have been like you, where you have absolutely no constrictions on the music you're playing. You don't have to worry about a dime. You don't have to play any gigs you don't want to play with. You don't have to play with anybody you don't want to play with. You don't have to play anything you don't feel like playing. And you only play when you want to. Yeah, This is the highest calling of the pure music. So it's not about being on stage. It's not, it's not about being a, a press idol. It really isn't in the long run. It really isn't. It's about your daily life and how you're feeling going through your day every day. Now you have something to communicate and make a change and make a difference around the people around you. I mean, you know, that's, that to me is the highest of
0: calling. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean that's some really profound knowledge that you just dropped on us. You know, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, I mean it really is because yeah. Y- you know when I you feel ta-
1: that the media, yeah, I feel the media. You know, and now I like to call it the immediate media. It's so much in your face. I'm not just talking about politics. Everything is so much all around us all the time, telling you that this is what you need to inspire to become with. Really? Yeah. Please give me a break. You know, well, wake up and have a good cup of coffee or or water.
0: (laughs) I mean, come on. Yeah. Be happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, case in point, you know, and and, and I want to make sure that that we talk about the new record. You know, it's called New Origin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we first talked, you were like, listen to the record. You know, it's it's a little different. Um, you know, and, and I kind of jokingly, I ribbed you a little bit earlier. I said, yeah, it's probably not a record you're going to put on at a dance party, you know? Exactly. Well, you know, I, I dance. That's how I dance. <laughs> I'll bet you do, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I dance. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, and I said to you, it's probably some of the best improvisational jazz that I've heard this year. I mean, it really, I mean, but it's the three of you guys in a studio, exploring the sonic palette so talk to us a little bit about uh, about that process
1: i would love to you know the the two uh the two gentlemen who i hold it and, and tremendous to see mr joe fonda on the bass, who i've probably been playing with at least 30 plus years now in many different configurations and uh christophe rocher who's a uh, amazing clarinet player from Brest, France, over on the coast, maybe about five hours in Paris. Uh, tremendous uh, new music improviser, beautiful character, beautiful soul, who Joe and I met on a tour, I, you know, I forget which tour it was, but some tour a, a couple of years ago. Christophe came to one of our concerts in France, and was enamored with the way we were playing and said, I'd love to play with you and hear some of my records. And uh, we went through and said, yeah, this is a cat. We need to do a project with this guy. And it really, you know, in the studio and on stage when we are touring, there is, as much as that this is improvisational music, there's quite a bit of written material. That's interpreted in a very different way depending on what day it is and how we're feeling, and what it really comes down to is language. It's really I, I and I've used this word earlier in this uh, in this interview, um, in that we're really speaking to one another, and we try. It, it's it's a very fluid conversation, and that's the way I view this type of music that I play, uh, whether it's with Joe and Kristoff or or other musicians um, that uh, I improvise with, whether it's in the so-called jazz idiom or rock idiom. It doesn't really, I try to stay away from the idiomatic aspects. But it's really about developing a level of trust in that the way we can communicate and interact through this language. Yeah some of it's common language, some of it's language that we've yet to find that we can speak in. And when those moments happen, it's really blissful. It's really like, well, it gets to another place because we're now using quote unquote words that I never thought of. And I couldn't think of it's because of the other creators that were together.
0: Yeah. The reaction. And, yeah.
1: And yet the reaction and it's, Reaction is a good word. I think a little bit better word might be interaction. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a tremendous interaction. When we play this music, this trio's music, the new origin music, we start to get away from, well, the drums keep the time, and the bass plays the bottom, and the horn plays the melody lines. All of those functions are being taken care of by all of us at the same time. So there are many times, uh, whether we decide to do this or it just happens at a spontaneous moment, moment, I'm now playing the melody. And the horn player could be laying down some sort of uh, pointillistic groove between him and the bass player. Now I'm playing the melodies of some of these tunes or some of these improvs, uh, really using each of our instruments, our, our chosen instruments, or sometimes those instruments seem to choose us, uh, as orchestras. They're all, they're all, we all have our, our own little orchestra. And what are the sounds, what, what kind of sound can I make on this instrument? You know, when I play the snare drum, it's infinite the amount of sounds I can get from a snare drum. It's only limited by your interpretation of what, what limitations you place on yourself. Yeah. You know, I kind of look at it like each, the whole instrument is my orchestra, and I look at it at each part of the instrument is orchestral in its own way. I remember Jack, uh, Jack talked to me years ago about his views about how, he, he, you know, Jack being a, uh, DJ being a fantastic piano player, and he always attributed some of that ethic to the way he played drums in that, you know, the cymbals were like the sustain pedals on a piano. And the drums were these staccato moments, as on. So you can, the same way a piano player would push the sostenuto pedal down to make certain chords and notes linger, is how you would kind of view the way you're pushing, moving sound off of the drums that you have. Different levels of sustain, you know how long notes go, how short notes go, uh, dynamics. You know, and uh, I always like that. and I, I I kind of think of it in my own version of that way. But it's really true that it's, you're, all, you're only limited by your own uh, uh, mental limitations of what you think the instrument could do. So I'm not one, you know, I'm not one, I don't, I don't play giant drum sets. I mean, if I have two mounted, that that's a huge set for me. Um,
0: and, you You're know, just smart. You don't me. want to move a lot of stuff around. No, I don't like to move
1: a lot of stuff. No, I don't.
0: Well, <laughs> so, it, you know, you, you you said something in there that, that I want to kind of key in on a little bit. You said yeah, it, it's those self-imposed limitations that you put on your instrument. And, that's right. You, you know, there are so many guys. And girls, for that matter, that are like, but, you know, I I don't want to put the kick drum on on two or two and or I don't want to put the snare on the one. You you know what I mean? It's like we we grow up in that, you know, two and four backbeat world, you know, unless you're a jazz guy from from birth and most people aren't, let's face it. But when you start, you know, start looking outside of that traditional rock and roll framework, you go, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and, and you've broken down your own wall that you put in there. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. I mean,
1: every uh, I think, you know, in any way that you would ever to whatever degree, let's put it that way, to whatever degree you can be aware that you're living in yourself. I mean, it's a series of degrees. First of all, even just saying to yourself, what else can I do here? Man, you're way ahead of the game now. Beautiful, all right. So now you're setting up a path for yourself to go somewhere that maybe you don't know what it is yet, you maybe can't figure it out yet, but at least you, you have that inside your brain and your body and your physicality that I'm looking for something else. You know, you can't find it. You know, some things can present themselves, but it's also in a situation that you're not going to find it unless you take stock of yourself and say, "Okay, you know what am I doing here, and why am I doing it?" You know, it kind of when we were talking about the media thing, it kind of brings up a, a funny thing. You know, I love drums. We all love drums. I have way too many drums. You know, it's just oh, yeah. it's out of control. It's out of control, right? So, um, and what's funny is that. I never play my drums when I'm touring, but I have all these, you know, amazing sets of drums and snare drums and hundreds of cymbals, and you know. But anyway, I love how these companies, whether it be boutique builders and their beautiful instruments, or the the, the major companies that are constantly have to release new things every year to sell products, and they they put their demos up online. Going, you got to, you got to, have to go out and spend two thousand dollars on this drum. Listen how amazing this snare drum is, and it's boom, crack, boom, boom, crack, boom, crack. Listen, are you telling me that you're the only drum that does this? It um, it's like wow, really? I mean you're all doing the same thing on a thousand different snare drums i mean what's the difference I, I was uh I was uh demonstrating at the Nam Show a few years ago for one of the uh, for the drum set company on endorsed at the time, and I was walking around and there was a booth there uh have you ever been to the nam show oh yeah in, in nashville or in l a yeah so uh there was one guy in the drum hall, I'll use that word loosely, pretty insane, that had his <laughs> booth who had developed the perfect two and four snare, and that was the name of his company, two and four. <laughs> if you're okay. going to play two and four, this is, the, this, is, this is it. This is the one for playing two and four. And he's, and he's sitting there playing two and four on this little kit with this snare drum, and I'm just laughing. I'm like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, Hal Blaine did it just fine on, you know, how many thousands of records with a, you know, 65 (laughs) supraphonic or, you know, I mean, it's just I I find that the whole gear thing and, and look, I love gear as much as the next guy. But let's face it, you know, I can go buy one of those, you know, $20,000 drum workshop kits that was, you know, submerged in a Russian lake for 400 years. You know, whatever the case may be, right. I'm, I'm still going to sound like Jamie Eads. I'm not going to sound ain't, like Harvey. Ain't that the truth. You know what I mean? I'm, ain't I'm, that the truth. I'm if never going to sound like Bonham. That, you know. It's,
1: yeah, you're way ahead of the game, man. That's what it's about. This instrument is not going to say... So it's, you know, I had the same thing, you know. In my snare drum collecting days, I was always getting lots of cool drums and yada yada. And I'd go show a buddy, check this one out. Check. And every time I played, he goes, "You know, man, sounds like you." Yeah, I mean, every it's- one of these really groovy drums that you bring over sounds just like you. I'm like, yeah,
0: you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there's just, there's a limitation in in every player, I think, that you're going to sound like you. And I've said this on this show, I don't know, a, a billion times probably, but, you know, one of my favorite guys out there today is Benny Greb, the great German, mm-hmm. you know, drummer. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just fantastic. But there's a video mm-hmm. out there on the internet of him playing one of those $30 you know, toy drum sets uh, that has mm-hmm. SpongeBob SquarePants on it. And he sounds yeah, I like in this video, yeah. he sounds like Benny Greb on a thirty dollar toy. So, it's, you know, it's not in the the instrument. It's what's in your hands and, and feet and soul that's going to come across. I, I
1: agree. And, you know, I want to just focus on something you just said, which was let's see if we can turn that around. You said that no matter what instrument, you know, I play. It's going to, you know, it's going to be, I think exactly how you said it, but it's going to be limited by, you know, that's me and just my limitations. Let's, let's turn that another way around. Let's embrace the sound that you make and say that the positive here is that it's going to sound like you and what we need in the drumming community, in the musical community, in the culinary community. In the writer's community, in the visual community, is people to do what they do and embrace who they are and not be swayed by, well, wow, that's so hit, man. I should be sounding like that. No, that's already happening. Please, there's enough of that. Yeah. What what do you have that I'm not going to hear anywhere else? There's no judgment as to uh, right, wrong, good, bad. I want to hear. I want to read. I want to eat what you are doing. That's that's the key, you know. And if I don't know. I can really get very heady here and say if that was the uh, truly the ethic around the world on on all fronts, boy, would we be in a better situation than we are now? Everybody didn't have to uh, try to pound into everybody else that this is the right way and this is the wrong way. And it's just very really limiting as to, as to where consciousness and we can go. And musically, and you know, that's the thing. If we just kind of turn that around real quick to, uh, to the new origin trio, that's kind of the ethic that we go by is that, yes, you use the word experimentation, which was beautiful. Let's put ourselves out there. Let's have enough trust, truth, love in one another. Know that the way we're here for one another. I'm not here to burn the bass player. I'm not here to show you how cool I am. You know, there are a lot of times when we're playing in this trio, or recording in this trio, uh, or touring in this trio, and uh, and other uh, quasi improvisational u- units that I work with. where I'm playing it. You know, there come times when I don't hear any drums right now. I like to, I don't hear this sound. This sound, what's happening right at this second, is not. It doesn't call for this sound. Lay back. Lay out. Lay out. Let something happen. Find your way in. Don't just bash through that. Don't even tinkle through that. Have enough trust in yourself and the musicians that you're with to be able to say, I really don't hear this. Are you really listening? I really don't hear this right now. I, I don't hear me right now. Yeah, wh- what guys. do
0: I have to add in this particular what do I have moment? To
1: add instead yeah. of yeah, exactly. What instead of just spewing through it all? Um, one of my pet peeves is always you know <laughs> to say that I find that uh, we'll, 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 just, we'll restrict it to musical community right now. I find that cats throw have a, throw away lots of notes. There are lots of notes being thrown away that the weight the intensity the seriousness of the note starts to get lost when you're just spewing and you're throwing notes yeah they're just throwaway notes you know was that really necessary do i really need to hear that right now i know i think it's that you really felt you needed to play that <laughs> you're not but you're yeah. not you're not you didn't really need to do that you 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 wanted to show me how much, how much you have together, but what did that just do to the music? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, can play, I can play a big fat whole note at some point in the music, and it could be just perfect, and so oh, that's more than enough. You know, done. I'm done now. Oh, now I need to get a little more active. Okay, I'm hearing that the music is calling for me to be a little more active. Well, the music is calling now for me to lay down this groove, but the music is telling me that it's had enough of yeah. what I have to offer sonically. What I have to offer sonically right now is my silence. That is as important. Yeah, that's. That Maybe may, may more so important. Yeah. Than I went to lay out.
0: That is know? such a Zen-like approach. And, you know, I, I mean, I have said it, you, you know, as somebody that's been playing for going on 30 years, it wasn't. I was probably 17, 18 years into playing the instrument when I figured out that sometimes what I don't play has a bigger impact on the music than what I do play. And,
1: oh, boy, you nailed it.
0: And and when you, when you understand that big whole note stop in a bar of music carries as much power as, you know, I don't know, some kind of crazy 30-second note fill down the toms, well, that's right. You know, when you start yeah. looking at the equation of power, you know, sometimes a big stop has more power than a great fill. And when you start no throwing question, you start no throwing that into your palate, it. man, it, it it becomes a real thing in your in your soul. You know,
1: no question uh, to me. That's the most important. And, you know, it's not easy to be truthful with yourself. It's not easy to be uh, unswayed by the popular thought of what you're supposed to be doing. It's not easy to, to say, well, I don't need to have that $4,000 snare drum because it's gonna make me sound better even though the media tells you this is what you need. You certainly do not. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from gorgeous instruments. I feel very fortunate to have lots of gorgeous instruments to play. Uh, it still sounds like me.
0: Yeah, well yeah, and and at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, Harvey, it's just a tool. You know, I mean you you go to an absolutely you you go to an auto mechanic and you know, he's got a set of wrenches. The next auto mechanic in the stall over has a set of wrenches. You know, it's it's just a tool to get the job done.
1: I agree. You know, one of the things um one of the things I do in some of my master classes—I don't do this all the time—it depends on the situation. Uh, I gave one in uh, in Germany a couple of months ago, and there were some great drummers there. And I came in and uh, I sat down. I played a little bit, and it was a nice set of drums, uh, very nice. And you know, I had my cymbals. Everything was very nice, and I played for a little while. And I said to those guys, I said, "All right, so uh, let me ask you, before we even talk about technique and stuff like that or whatever we're going to talk about today." Um, how do you guys think about the drums, man? Where do these drums sound? And one guy was like, "Oh, you know, the, you know, I really like the snare drum. Oh, the toms were a little dull, yada." Yeah, I said, Oh, "Okay, how about you, man? What do you think? What do you think of the cymbals?" He said, "Oh, cymbals are beautiful. I like that flat ride that you play. It's gorgeous." And I asked another guy. He said, "Oh, the bass drum. You know, it sounded really good. Maybe, maybe a little more muffling." I said, really? "Okay, great." And uh, I took out my wallet out of my pocket and I threw it on the floor and I said, you know, right now that drum set sounds exactly like my wallet. You hear any difference? (laughs) You hear any difference between those drums and my wallet? They're making the same sound right now. Exactly the same. Oh, were you talking about when I was playing them? Oh, that's a different story. Drums make no sounds. That's right. Guitars make no sounds. Piano doesn't make a sound. Wallets make no sound. Oh, you're talking about the sound you make on it. This is where we're going to start here today. We're going to start to talk about what sound do you make? Are you aware of the sound you're making on the instrument? That's what it's about. Are you aware of what frequencies you're putting out when you're playing this instrument? Because instruments make no sound. People don't. Animals do. Plants do. But instruments don't. So that, to me, is is goes a a a lot along with what we've been talking about in terms of uh, how the uh, New Origin Trio operates. How kind of I envision uh, the creative process and the need, the want, the desire for people to be as honest as they can. Uh, with themselves and everything that you do in your daily life and the way you have communications with a family member or your wife or your brother or the guy at the post office or any of these things or the server in a restaurant, all these things contribute to make who you are and that's the sound you're going to be making on the instrument. And if you think that's different, then you're going to, if you think you make this clear cut differentiation between what I do as a quote-unquote musician and what I do in my daily life, you're missing. You're missing it. You're missing it. We're not hearing you. Wow. We need to hear you. We need to hear you. That's what this world needs. We need to hear you, what you have to say. Forget about validity. Forget about right, wrong, good, bad, bright, dull. What do you have to say? Let's please listen to one another.
0: Yeah, man.
1: That's yeah, man. That's, that's how I try to go through my days.
0: That, that's great advice, Harvey. I, I mean, I, I just I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on. Now, the the new sure, Origin TV. Trio record uh, is it on the street already?
1: Yes, it came out. I think the first of this month, the first of June, twenty nineteen. It's available through the label themselves, which is not two records, not two. Uh, Records.com or the Downtown Music Gallery in New York City. Not too is located in uh, uh, Krakow, Poland. They're a great, great, great record label. I have a few records recently. I've probably done about 10 records for them. I have another one with the great pianist Marilyn Crispell and Joe Fonda that came out about four months ago. And I have one more coming out with them. Next month, which features uh, uh, another great piano player, uh, composer, improviser, Jerome Kitsky, Steve Rust on bass. And this is music along to the poetry of the great Furlan, uh, of, uh, Ferlinghetti, uh, who was one of the great beats poets who turned 100 this year and is still writing. Lawrence, Ferlinghe- Lawrence Ferlinghetti, founder of City Lights in San Francisco, New York. 100 years old, writing amazing stuff. We have taken some of his words, and they are part of the way we improvise. We improvise around his poetry, read by Jerome Kitsky, which is is spectacular.
0: Wow, that sounds awesome. So I heartily recommend
1: all of you to check out this label, Not Two Records. And I would want to say also before that, this uh, podcast ends, that not only am I appreciative that you're taking the time to do this with me, but I really want to get it across to the listeners that these are the type of situations that need to be supported. What you're doing, Jamie, is so important through the morass of of stuff that's going on down the pike on the digital pipeline of where we're bombarded with stuff for people like you to take the time and for all the millions of dollars that you make doing this. (laughs) how you do this. How did you know? uh, Altruism for, for the music, for the people. I'm asking the listeners to please support in any way possible what you and this podcast does. Listen, spread it around to your friends, turn on to other things. You know, if you stop listening and you stop supporting, these things go away. And then you turn around and say, wow, man, we used to play at this club down the block, and now it's not there anymore. (laughs) Well, did you ever go? No, I never went, but it was so cool. Well, if you don't go, if you don't support, if you're not part of it, that it goes away. Yeah. So thank you, Jamie. Well,
0: really. I, I mean, what do I say to that? I, I mean, you're too kind. Um, you know, <laughs> I, from from the genesis of this show, I, I've said a million times, I just want it to be two drummers talking about drums and music. And I always, I know that when that conversation goes on, whether it's in a pub, a coffee house, At the bus stop, when there's two drummers talking, you can solve a whole lot of problems and there's a ton of knowledge in there. And there's always something to be learned. You know, I've said you want to figure out how to build, you know, a base on the moon, get a couple of drummers on the job because we will reverse engineer that crap to death (laughs) and figure out how to make it happen. You know, so there you
1: go. Yeah, yeah, there you go for sure. Harvey, man, you
0: you are just uh, such a such a great guy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the drum shuffle. You're welcome here anytime. Time. Please keep uh, us posted you, what you have going on. We'll have you back anytime you have the uh, the opportunity.
1: Most certainly, my friend. And you uh, you enjoy the day and carry on. And thanks for all that you're doing.
0: Uh, thanks, Harvey. We'll talk to you real soon, brother. All right. Very good. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 74 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. As always, I certainly appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. We just simply can't put this show out every week without you listening. Uh, we we appreciate it more than you will ever know. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in. Uh, we always have episodes coming out every single week, uh, and we want you to, to catch all of these great interviews that we have. Now, to that end we will be taking a summer break this year Um, next week we will have Rodney Edmondson on the show Uh, Rodney has just done a ton of great work for the last 27 years with Ronnie Millsap who is just one of the living legends of country music certainly Uh, but after we air the episode next week with Rodney we're going to be taking a few weeks off simply because I've got a ton of family commitments this summer And I'm going to go out and see a bunch of shows and get a bunch of interviews at these shows to bring to you here on the Drum Shuffle. So we're taking just a little bit of a summer break, a little summer vacation. So, uh, But we will be back after just a few short weeks now. If you want to email us, podcast at gmail.com is where you can send that email. We do answer every single email that we get. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com and you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com while you're there look at all those social media links up in the upper right hand corner there's facebook twitter instagram follow us on those platforms as well we do try to keep you up to speed uh, in terms of who we're interviewing what we have going on through those social media links if you want to help us out the biggest thing you can do to help us as harvey said in his interview today share a link with a friend tell somebody you know about the drum shuffle podcast That helps us more than you will ever know. I hope everybody has a fantastic week this week. We'll see you next week with Rodney Edmondson. So until then, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers.